Only $89 billion in U.S. commercial real estate property was purchased in the third quarter, a decline of 53% from the same period last year. Welcome to Bullish, where we talk about the journey and process to build ourselves and companies into multi-billion dollar people and brands. Currently, my business and investment funds have done tens of millions in revenue. And this is the documentation of the journey to scale to the billion dollar realm. All while we give back and do good in the world. My name is Bridger Pennington, and welcome to Bullish. Boom, people, welcome back to the show. Today, we're gonna talk about all things macroeconomics. Get up, paint an interesting picture of what's going on in the world right now. We had an amazing print of GDP, 4.9% when adjusted for inflation, seasonally adjusted per growth in third quarter, which is perplexing to say the least. I've talked to a lot of asset managers. I mean, I don't think anybody predicted that kind of a print for third quarter growth. So we're gonna look into consumer expenditures, debt to service payments. We're also gonna look at commercial real estate sector. We're gonna look at the war with Israel and Hamas. Talk about that for a little bit. And additionally, we're gonna talk about uh, crypto. I mean, Bitcoin up 27% this month, which is wild. Had a huge print from crypto. So we're gonna kind of bounce around. It should be a fun, uh, a fun episode today. Um, diving in uh, at the beginning, let's kind of top, top down here. Economy expanding uh, very well in Q3. I think most people are looking for a... A down quarter um, with, I mean, just just makes sense. We have high rates, a consumer, we have inflation going through the roof. Consumers are, seems like, at least all the friends I talk to are pulling back on spending. They're not buying that new thing they were going to buy. Home sales have slowed down. But yet, we were seeing a growth throughout the economy. It just seems uh, kind of perplexing. If you Some of you guys that are watching on YouTube, you'll see some of these charts. If not, I will uh, talk you through them. This is personal consumption expenditures from Fred, uh, the St. Louis Fed um, right here. I mean, through the roof, just continuing to climb. Personal consumption expenditures is not stopping. Um, you could also look at real personal consumption expenditures, a little bit different way of calculating it, but still just has not stopped, continues to climb. Consumers are at least, um, they're not stopping at least spending, or if they are, they're just spending more dollars for their goods. So if they are pulling back, they're just spending more because of inflation at the grocery store or other places. So, but the total, total aggregate of dollars being spent is increasing month over month on a steady, I mean, it's not stopping, which is uh, is pretty insane. This is interesting. This, this is uh, consumer loans, credit cards, and other revolving plans, all commercial banks, okay? So consumer loans through the roof. So it looks like a lot of these consumption expenditures have been financed through debt. What the problem with that is debt is, two to three times more expensive than it was two years ago. And so your debt to service payments are gonna theoretically increase a lot. And you're paying a lot more to banks and just on interest payments rather than to actual goods that you are buying in the economy. Thankfully, there's a chart for that. So look at this, we can look at household debt service payments as a percent of disposable income. So right now, um, historically, it is hung around, I'll go 10 year chart here, around 10%. So again, this is household debt service payments as a percent of disposable income, meaning on average, you spend about 10% of your disposable income on debt service. It dropped a lot in COVID with moratoriums. It has jumped back up to around nine 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 and a half, 9.8%. Um, which is kind of an average for the last 10 years. So at least the debt service payments haven't jumped a lot for households, which is surprising with rates uh, where they're at right now. You'd think those would jump a lot. This, ch this chart right here, you'll see kind of puts both together. Uh, this is personal savings rates over top of consumer debt service payments as a percent of disposable income, the one we just looked at. So if you look at personal savings rates, um, they, uh, during, by the way, during COVID, the highest they've been since World War II, I mean, 
personal savings rates jumped through the roof, okay? They've now fallen back. Um, right now we're sitting at, it looks like the last print of September of 2023, 3.4%, which again though, is kind of been the average. In, in 2022, it was around 2.7. Before that, it was hanging around, it looks a little bit higher, about 7, 8%, okay? It was before this, 2019, we're about 8% savings rate. Right now we're at a 3.4. So we see savings rates diminishing. Consumer debt service payments have risen, but not to a, a crazy level. Historically have been decently, you know, a little bit higher than historical, but nothing crazy. But again, it we are on a trend of that. It looks like that is going to increase. Now, the big question is until when? Until what? Is there a breaking point? Is there a moment where consumers just are in so much debt or it looks like it's being financed by debt? Debt service payments are coming too much where consumers just stop. Um, and bankruptcies rise and market starts to turn over. That's what it, that's what most people are looking for. And just the, if you read an economics book, that's what it would tell you. However, it feels like we keep dodging bullets and we print a incredible third quarter print on the economy. Um, some people went from, we're going to have a, you know, uh, a flyby. We're now going to have a, a miss, maybe a, a double dip recession. I've been in that camp of more of a double dip. We had one last year, a two quarters of economic decline. We then had a big rally and then we are, you know, falling back to, to levels right now. Sorry, I'm, and I'm giving just groundwork right now. We'll, we'll talk about more of this, but my opinion is that consumers are getting more and more squeezed. I mean, it is, um, I, I just, on the consumer level, it's, it's just the data is telling us they're going to get, be squeezed and continue to get squeezed. Uh, capital markets have been restrained. Um, we're seeing most companies at about a 50 to 60% markdown from previous valuations at a high of 2021, 2022. Uh, huge markdowns, and this is the, in the private markets. And so companies, and now, could companies reopen the market? Uh, you know, you could, you could say a Stripe or a SpaceX um, could reopen the public markets. SpaceX, though, it doesn't look like it has any plans to IPO in the, in, in the near future. Um, Stripe as well. I mean, they could, but they're looking at a, you know, 50% markdown from their previous round. And I don't know if they want to take that haircut. Um, so I, I just, you know, things seem to be constricting to a point. Now let's, let's turn over and look at the, um, cause I think this all kind of ties together. This puts a lot of pressures on banks. Uh, banking, the banking industry has obviously this earlier this year took a big smash. We had Silicon Valley Bank, Silvergate, you had Credit Suisse, uh, First Republic Bank, a number of banks either go insolvent or almost go insolvent or get acquired. A lot of this pressure comes back to the banking industry. Additionally, bonds are down 49% from their peak. Bonds. So if you bought bonds, a bond, bond should be the, one of the safest things you can buy, a US treasury. If you went and sold that treasury on market day, you would lose half of the value. And that's what's happening. A lot of these banks that were marking market to market, they, well, they didn't market mark to market now they're being forced to, and they're showing a 50% loss on bonds. And that's why this, this pressure has been building up for the banking industry. This is an interesting article that Wall Street Journal put out um, on, I'll kind of scroll up for you guys so you can see it if you're following along. If not, I'll just read it to you, no big deal. It says, the money has stopped flowing into commercial real estate. Declining construction loans has been particularly severe as lenders continue to cut back. So I'm gonna scroll down a bit. It's talking about, we've talked about this on the show before, commercial real estate, but look at this. This chart's very interesting. It shows commercial real estate debt outstanding change from a quarter earlier. This is, um, it looks like banks are not, and they go in the article, they are not lending new debt and dumping commercial debt if they can to other people. This is the lowest it's been in a decade right now at 0.98%. To give you perspective, in Q1 of 2022, it was a high 
of 2.9%. So almost 3%. Right now, it's less than a percent. It's the lowest it's been since 2014. Um, the amount of money going into commercial real estate. Uh, if you scroll down here, the amount of uh, construction is declining for the first time um, in a while at a, a significant rate. I'm going to scroll down to this though right here. Um, only $89 billion in U.S. commercial real estate property was purchased in the third quarter, a decline of 53% from the same period last year, according to data provided by MSCI Real Assets. 53% decline in purchases of commercial real estate. Again, most commercial real estate is purchased with a pretty large loan. When loans, uh, we were at our whale group event last few weeks. Um, a lot of guys in commercial are like, I'm, I'm getting rates at 8, 9, 10, 11% to buy commercial real estate. It's like, it just doesn't pencil. I mean, even if you buy at an eight cap, and you're, but if you're borrowing at a 10% rate, you're underwater, 2%. Uh, you just you can't make that deal work. Um, and so uh, a lot of regional banks are trying to dump and get out of these loans. We've actually heard of reports of people, um, we actually had a guy in our whale group telling us with hotels, this whole hotel portfolio, they just gave the keys back to the bank. Said, yeah, we're good. Just take the, just we're, we default. Take the, take the real estate, take the properties. And the bank's now turning around and selling those assets. Um, again, can banks sure up and make this all work? I mean, we will see. I've been calling for, we've been talking about this on the show, a commercial real estate crisis or crash and or a banking crash because I think they go hand in hand. Banks are the ones holding most of this most of this debt and uh, it just doesn't make sense. He says this on the article as well. Uh, but when he just was talking about a, um, a large player, uh, this is, so Mark Thigpen, man, what a last name. Mark Thigpen, the head of global real estate for a law firm. Um, so when he looks at the office of the window on the 17th floor, he sees cranes everywhere going on description. But when he looks down at his desk, he sees a list of 46 of his commercial projects throughout the country that were supposed to close or be under development by the first quarter of this year. All of those are on hold or being pushed out due to financing challenges. He said, there's no market that insulated from this. Um, commercial real estate, uh, it seems like has just almost halted and people are fleeing from commercial real estate. So we'll see um, kind of what happens there. Hey, hey guys, hope you're enjoying the show. Now, as you know, we don't run advertisements on this channel. We just spread this by word of mouth. So if you can, please rate and review the show. If it's benefited your life anyway, please drop that down below. I actually love reading them. I love seeing what people say and share and stuff. So if you guys can, if you, this show has helped you in any way, shape or form, please rate and review and share this with a friend or two that may benefit their life. We do this just to help more people understand this game that we're playing. Thank you guys so much and we'll get back to the show. You dovetail this with a, a continual escalation of the war in Israel with Hamas. Um, now on this show, I'm not gonna give all my, we're not gonna talk, I'm not a political analyst, but I'm just bringing it up because it's interesting. We've now moved two aircraft carriers into the Mediterranean. Uh, this morning, Yemen was firing, a, a group out of Yemen was firing rockets. Syria's been firing rockets. Uh, there's been a lot of uproar around the situation in Israel. My hope is that we can de-escalate, that we can, uh, and hopefully there's a path to peace. I, I would not call myself any way, shape, or form an expert in this place, but I would just hope for peace that we can de-escalate the situation because um, the the scary piece is, the the part of this that is scary to me at least, um, obviously there's a lot of lives at risk on in the actual conflict. But outside of Gaza and Israel, the number of nations that have announced something along this conflict and protests that have happened all over the world. Pro we had mass protests in Rome. We had mass protests in, uh, in France, protests in Chicago, New York. Um, 
these protests, if this situation is not handled well, could blow up into, I think, massive protests and or retaliations around the earth if this escalates into something bigger, um, which I, I really hope they don't do. Um, so uh, whoever's in charge over there, I, I, I man, we got Blinken on there. We got um, obviously the Israeli president. I, I, the both sides of this conflict, you can see both sides and it's sad and I just, I hope they can have a path to peace. Currently, it seems like it has been escalated. They continue to escalate. The US is trying to de-escalate other nations in the region, but Israel is moving and, and looking to do a ground invasion soon. That's kind of been the, the plan, at least that's been published. We'll see what they actually do. But um, uh, hopefully it can de-escalate and not be a, a big conflict, but we will see. So the state of the world right now um, is pretty interesting. Now, last topic I wanna to talk about is crypto. Crypto, uh, uh, Bitcoin rose about 27% in the month of October. Um, we're filming this in the last day of October on Halloween, actually. So we'll see how the day ends, but around, let's call it 25 to 30% in that range, crushed it this month on news and hopes that a Bitcoin spot buying ETF will be announced. Uh, as I've talked about before, we have BlackRock, you have Fidelity and 10 other groups have announced spot buying ETFs waiting for approval from the SEC. Uh, Grayscale won their case against the SEC. Uh, at least a, a, a judge have said that Grayscale was was correct. They are now appealing to another court, so we'll see what happens. But this is massive. This was when, um, if you remember back 2021, Bitcoin was supposed to hit $100,000, remember? Like everyone was talking about Bitcoin, it's gonna hit $100,000. It did not because of one of the factors was they denied Grayscale's spot buying Bitcoin ETF. They approved a futures ETF, they, did, they denied a spot buying ETF. Now why that's significant? There are a lot of groups, institutions, big Fortune 500 companies, at least in 2021, that were saying, hey, we wanna buy crypto. We wanna put 1% of our assets into Bitcoin. And when you do the math on that, it's, it's trillions of dollars that would flow into Bitcoin. Uh, the total market cap of crypto is right around $1.2 trillion. It's relatively small. It's, it's half the size of Apple. When all these institutions started putting one, two, three percent in, the market cap of crypto could jump to eight, 10, 15 trillion dollars very quickly. The market cap of gold, for example, is around 12 trillion dollars. Crypto is about one trillion to put things in perspective. So that's why this news is so significant. Now, a lot of groups, this, this run-up, we don't know the exact reason why this month's run-up. Some have speculated that BlackRock or Fidelity are front-running and trying to acquire Bitcoins before the release of the ETF happens. Now, it's also interesting to note that only Bitcoin has rallied. Ethereum has not rallied. Um, other cryptos have not rallied really just Bitcoin uh, based on this fear. So we, we actually are looking at a lot of charts. We could see a major sell-off over the, last, the next 30 days. If there is nothing approved, you could see a sell-off. You could see kind of a hold around $30,000 Bitcoin right now. I think we're at about $34,000 Bitcoin. Additionally though, if a spot buying ETF was announced or approved today, I mean, I think we could quickly see a 50, 60, $70,000 Bitcoin in the matter of months. Um, it's pretty, pretty wild. All this uh, as well leads up to the Bitcoin halving. So next uh, spring is the scheduled Bitcoin halving next March. This is when um, uh, historically crypto runs on four year cycles. And so each one of these cycles, if you're not uh, aware of the halving events, this is typically what kicks off the next bull run because it becomes essentially the math breaks down to miners. It's about twice as expensive for a miner to mine a Bitcoin, which then constrains supply of Bitcoins, which typically has price increases. Um, again, this has happened last, uh, this is the fourth cycle this is happening. Uh, the charts, when we do a technical analysis, everything seems to line up for a next 
bull run. Um, the bull run of 2017, a lot of people got into crypto in 2017. Another one was in 2021. Um, this one would, would kick off the bull cycle. It would then, we think uh, from a chart point of view, it'd peak towards the end of 2025. Um, but again, this it may not follow the charts. You know, with a, with a spot buying ETF with institutional capital moving into crypto, it may not be that way. Um, it may break from a chart. It may go differently. We have 40 countries currently in development of a central bank digital currency. That's pretty crazy. If you go to the AtlanticCouncil.org, they have a whole chart that shows this. It's 40 different countries in research and or development of a central bank digital currency, the United States being one of them. Uh, a few countries have already announced central bank digital currency, China being one of them. Um, I believe it's inevitable. I think it's coming. And what we think is when, when those get announced, it's just on and off ramps. All boats rise. And so, yes, a few cryptos would be maybe become obsolete, but the majority of cryptos, I think, would become all boats would rise and we'd have a, a massive market cap if, if a number of countries, uh, well, a number of countries have already announced, but they actually launch and start to implement over the next decade. We see a huge tidal wave moving in. So I, as you, some of you know, I run a crypto hedge fund. Me and Dan Young, my partner, we run Ugly Unicorn uh, as our crypto fund. It's been very fun to be a part of. We've, it's actually been amazing. Right now, we are we feel like we are teeing up. We might see a, some choppy waters in the next few months, but some good load periods. But we see, we think a very, very, you know, interesting market, I guess you could say, without making too many predictions, but an interesting market. We are, I mean, today, if they announced a spot buying ETF, it is massive, the upside that could happen. The downside for crypto, I think has already been fleshed out primarily. Yes, we could drop again back down to a, a maybe back down to a $20,000 Bitcoin, but looking at 2022 and 2023, you can't get much worse news about crypto than we got in those, those that year. This is actually the first year we launched our fund, by the way. <laughs> we had FTX blow up. You had Three Arrows Capital blow up. Genesis Global blew up. We had multiple frauds, scams, schemes come out of crypto. And yet, the lowest Bitcoin hit was about $17,000. That's pretty good. I mean, when you have, we had blood in the streets from a, a dozen or so major crypto players. Um, and to... And to still see a low of $17,000 Bitcoin makes me feel pretty comfortable about this asset class, that it's not going away. And yeah, right now we could have some better bad news come out. Other stuff could happen, but I, it, uh, the massive growth, I think it's, it's there. Um, I'm generally, we're generally long crypto uh, with our fund. And um, I mean, you can't get much worse news about crypto that we've had over the last 12 months. Um, yes, you, I mean, the SEC, the SEC has gone after though, Binance, Coinbase, um, at the same time, though, we have Fidelity, we have BlackRock, we have Charles Schwab, Citadel, all moving into crypto, launching either platforms or things. It's pretty interesting. Like, why is the the SEC nothing? Everything's super clean on Wall Street, right? No one, there's never insider trading on Wall Street. Why would the SEC go after Binance and Coinbase? And then weeks later, all of these old institutional, established firms are all getting into crypto within weeks of each other. It's just kind of seems kind of fishy to me. I don't know. It seems a little fishy about what's going on. With that though, I like to I like to follow the smart money. I like to follow where the smart money is moving. Right now, a lot of smart money seems to be announcing that they are moving into crypto. And with that, I uh, I'm generally bullish on crypto. Um, currently, we might have some choppy waters in the next few months, but we are I like I'm increasing my personal deployments into crypto right now. Um, it is a uh, pretty pretty interesting what's going on. And so with that, I mean it's, it was cool to see a very big run up from just Bitcoin. We'll see if that holds and we'll see if altcoins follow as well. Uh, we could see some sell off if nothing does get approved. I think a lot of this hype was around the ETF getting approved so on a news. But um overall we are we're thinking we're in a, a decent spot right now for what's going on. Um 
and this kind of decoupling away from the general economy where people want to diversify their portfolio a little bit as a, as a government, as a country, especially with uh, increased levels of war. A lot of people don't want to hold a currency that's in cash. They want to hold Bitcoins. They want to hold crypto because they can move that from country to country. If their country goes into war or accounts get frozen, if you, the, the theory, you know, the hope is if you have decentralized wallets, you can move money and you can actually control your money. That's different than a centralized exchange. That's different than a Coinbase or a Binance. But if you have a decentralized wallet, you can move money pretty effectively if your country is in war. And so right now we're actually seeing less adoption in the United States. Most of the adoption in crypto is happening in Asia, Southeast Asia, uh, 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 Indonesia, China, India are adopting crypto at a very fast rate, much faster than the United States. The United States, the SEC has been kind of a little bit poo-pooing on crypto and more, you know, it's an interesting asset class in the United States, but the rest of the world is adopting crypto at a very, very fast clip. And so that's why we keep saying we believe it's inevitable this movement towards digital currency feels inevitable. Um, I know we can fight it, we can push back, whatever. It, I don't know the timeline, but I believe it is inevitable that this is coming. So with that, you guys are amazing. Give you kind of an insight right now um, on the market right now. I think I'm generally bearish on the market right now. I'm bullish on crypto and that's kind of where I'm at. We'll have a, a, you know some fun stuff to see over the next few weeks. So you guys are amazing. See you in the next episode. Peace. Hey, what's going on, people? Hope you're enjoying the show. This is Bridger Payton here. So if you've liked the show so far, if you're more of a visual learner, we actually post almost all of these to YouTube. So if you go look me up, Bridger Pennington on YouTube, we're there. We actually have a ton of different content on funds and different business structure and strategy stuff that we kind of don't touch on on the podcast, but are more visual-based stuff. So if you're a visual learner, go to YouTube and go check me out, Bridger Pennington on YouTube. With that, we'll get back to the show. Thanks, guys.